chapter, the 22nd, Komodo Dormiant Monarchy of the monks are to see. Let them sleep, each one in a separate bed, receiving bedding suitable to their manner of life, as the abbot shall appoint. If possible, let all sleep in one place. But if the number do not permit of this, let them repose by tens or twenties with the seniors who have charge of them. Let a candle burn constantly in the cell until morning. Let them sleep clothed and girded with belts or cords, but not with knives at their sides, lest perchance they wound themselves in their sleep. And thus be always ready so that when the signal is given, they may rise without delay and hasten each to forestall the other in going to the work of God, yet with all gravity and modesty. Let not the younger brethren have their beds by themselves, but among those of the seniors, and when they rise for the work of God, let them gently encourage one another because of the excuses of the drowsy. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> One can suppose that this chapter, How the Monks Are to Sleep, follows upon that that treats of the deans of the monastery, because the deans are set over uh, groups of monks, tens, uh, <coughs> generally speaking, groups of ten, and the following chapter speaks of the arrangement of sleeping. They are to repose by tens or twenties with the seniors who have charge of them. One can assume that the seniors who have charge uh, over the sleeping arrangements are the deans. So it seems that that's the connection. Otherwise, one doesn't really understand um, St. Benedict's logic in, in uh, passing from the deans of the monastery to how the monks are to sleep. It would seem that this chapter 22 uh, continues uh, chapter 21 by saying that the deans have oversight in the dormitory. Um, St. Benedict provides bedding suitable to their manner of life for his monks. Um, St. Benedict never countenances um, misery. Uh, he wants his monks to have enough. His concern would be that his monks sleep well, so as to be able to pray well, read well, and work well. And to this end, he provides his monks with all that is necessary for a good night's sleep. He would have his monks sleep in one place. Uh, that is to say, there would have been a vast room of some sort in which uh, the monks would have their beds. Uh, this, uh, for those monks coming from peasant families, would have been uh, extraordinary uh, because in peasant families, all would sleep in the same bed, or at least uh, several children 
uh, to one bed, <coughs> which in some families uh, would have been the practice uh, right into the last, well, at least until the 1950s. I remember in the post-war period, uh, families where all the children slept in one bed, uh, and particularly in Italy, that would have been uh, the practice, but in other places as well. And I remember hearing a Lithuanian religious tell me that in her first assignment, uh, there were five sisters to one bed uh, because they were so poor, they couldn't do otherwise, and they couldn't move, they had to kind of sleep fully clothed and learn how to get a night's rest that way. So uh, our present sensibilities are such that we recoil from the notion of having to sleep uh, in one bed, and we think of it as something unseemly. Uh, it would not have been unseemly. It was the way families lived, and poor families lived that way until not that long ago. As I said, I have recollections of, um, of this going on into the 1950s. In some places, <coughs> St. Benedict would have a light. He says the cell. Cell does not mean in St. Benedict's parlance what it means for us today. Uh, we think of a cell as being the private room of a monk. Uh, for St. Benedict, a cella is um, really any uh, delineated enclosed space. Um, it's customary uh, to call a small monastery a cella. Uh, if uh, there is a monastery with two or three or four monks, uh, before it becomes a dependent priory, it is in monastic usage called a cella. Um, and so um, there are still some monasteries that have that designation. If you look in the monastic directories, it will say such and such a house is not yet a priory, it's a cella. Generally, that's because there are three or four monks. So cell does not always mean what we think, think it means. In this case, it means a, a large uh, enclosed um, room, a space. Um, but but St. Benedict is more concerned in this chapter with rising than he is with sleeping. Uh, more than half of the chapter treats of getting up in the morning. Uh, he, he, he wants to take every measure so that his monks get a good night's sleep, but he's equally concerned that they get up in the morning. So that when the signal is given, they may rise without delay. Et facto signo absque mora surgentes. This rising without delay is uh, the first great act of homage to God in, in a monk's day. And it is that, it's an act of homage. Um, in some monasteries, uh, as soon as a monk bounds out of bed, he, he makes a prostration on the floor and makes an act of adoration. And that's something that I have always recommended. Um, to rise without delay and hasten each to forestall the other in going to the work of God. Uh, as soon as a monk bounds out of bed, uh, he's on his way to the work of God. Uh, the monk gets up uh, to praise God. The motive of a monk's rising is to go to choir, the praise of God. Uh, and hasten each to forestall the other in going to the work of God. Uh, there's a kind of rivalry to see who can be first 
in church in the morning. And I remember in the monastery of my profession, Frère Marie-Jacques, no matter how early one would get up, you would go to church and Frère Marie-Jacques would be there already. The saying uh, uh, went out in the community that Frère Marie-Jacques was like the sanctuary lamp. He never went out. <laughs> he was always there, no matter how early you would get up. He would be there standing in his choir stall, in his kukula, uh, in prayer. And I think every monastery has uh, a Frère Marie-Jacques, uh, one who, like the sanctuary lamp, never goes out. Uh, he was, a, I suppose, an example of perpetual adoration, because um, as soon as he had uh, no assigned work, he would go to choir. A choir was his default. If there was, if he had no work or if he completed his work, he would put on his kukula and go and stand in the church uh, every day of his life. So um, he he had a kind of um, you speak of the force of gravity um, that. Uh, uh, one's, uh, uh, one gravitates towards the object of one's love. Uh, so this Frère Marie-Jacques would gravitate uh, to the church. As soon as he had uh, no assigned work, he would be there. And um, he was always amiable. So the, the, the test of one's prayer uh, is charity. There are those who go to prayer to escape from the demands of fraternal charity. That's, that's a vitiated kind of prayer, uh, because it's used as an escape from the demands of fraternal life. But in the case of Frère Marie-Jacques, he would spend every free moment in church, but he was the most amiable and gracious and generous brother. He was an electrician. And um, uh, very, very skilled uh, at his work. Uh, but always, always gracious. Um, and he was the one, I've told you this before, that when the abbot in chapter would query the brethren on uh, a particular question or a subject, and he would go around to each one and say, what do you think, Father, and what do you think? And whenever he would get to Frère Marie-Jacques, and what do you think, Frère Marie-Jacques? Comme bon vous semble, mon très vraiment. As you as you see fit, my very reverend father. <laughs> that was his answer to everything. Well, there's a certain the, the brethren used to laugh at him and think that he was that they, that he didn't he he never reflected critically on anything. But I think he had he had great charity and great humility, and and this charity and humility were the fruit of these long hours in prayer. So he was always there first, and St. Benedict would have us um, uh, practice a kind of holy rivalry with regard to uh, getting first to the work of God. Yet he says, cum omni tamen gravitati et modestia. Now this, this uh, Roman virtue of gravitas, this is uh, in the mind of St. Benedict what characterizes the Roman gentleman. Gravitas, and uh, Blessed Schuster in his commentary on the Holy Rule speaks of signorilita, uh, a gentlemanly demeanor. And so St. Benedict wants his monks, um, th there's no schoolboy uh, kind of roughhousing. It's not 
um, there's nothing coarse. Everything is done in a dignified and gentlemanly manner. Um, St. Benedict has a very high notion of civility, of gentlemanliness, of courtesy, of graciousness of demeanor. This is all very Benedictine. So that's what he's speaking of here, gravity and modesty. He, he doesn't want the younger brethren to have their beds um, by themselves uh, for obvious reasons, uh, but rather uh, among, among the seniors. Um, younger brethren would have been teenagers in St. Benedict's day. And, and say what you will, adolescents through the ages are still adolescents. Uh, and so there would be the, the temptation to um, to stay up uh, and to uh, uh, to chat and that sort of thing. And so St. Benedict says, no, um, the, the young brothers have to be in the care of older fathers. And then what, what is, to my mind, one of the most beautiful phrases in the rule, and when they rise for the work of God, let them gently encourage one another. Invicem se moderate cohortentur. It's very beautiful. Let them gently encourage one another. Um, this is, is one of the great overarching principles of the Holy Rule. Uh, if I were to have, if I had to choose a phrase from each chapter and, and, and write it in beautiful calligraphy and, and put it on the walls of the monster. This would be one of them. Let them gently encourage one another. It's very beautiful. It shows the, the humanity of St. Benedict. There's nothing harsh, nothing overbearing. There's always a, 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 a gentle solicitude, a warmth, um, an affectionate demeanor. Let them gently encourage one another. And he says, out of his uh, knowledge of human nature, propter sonolentorum excusationes, uh, because of the excuses of the sleepyheads. Uh, uh, Abbot Hunter Blair translates drowsy, but I would render sonolentorum of the sleepyheads. <laughs> I think that's a more accurate expression, because sleepyheads are always. Uh, always have the excuse. And so um, it was in St. Benedict's Day as it is today. In every monastery there will be sleepy heads, um, but they're to be not berated, but encouraged. Not berated, but encouraged.